Yeah, you ready to zone soil sample this fall? Sure am. What are you using to make your maps? I'm going to the place that's got a map for that. What place is that? That's GK Technology. Oh, I hear they can make a map for just about anything. Yeah, not only zones, but drainage too. Really? Like, drainage so fast that your neighbors didn't even know that it was on your field first? <laughs> yeah, right. The maps are that good. Well, looks like I'm going to be using GK Technologies ADMS software this fall, if it's that good. It is. And go check them out and see what ADMS is at www.gktechinc.com. Fall is here, and you know what that means. Yeah, it's time to break out the swear sticks, aka soil probes. Well, yeah, but how are you going to keep your together? Good question. I need a lot of help. Oh boy. Oh boy is right, but I have a great solution for you. Oh really? I'm listening. FarmQA. They have a suite of tools that can organize your workflow. Things like scanning barcodes from AgVise and Midwest Laboratories to automatically upload your lab results by field into your FarmQA account. Oh yeah. I have used it to make a map to show what fields need to be sampled and what fields have to be sampled, so I don't miss any. So there you hear it. Go to farmqa.com to learn more about these features and so much more. Hey, I'm Kyle Oki. And I'm Jason Hansen. And you are listening to the Agronomist Happy Hour podcast. Rock and roll. <laughs> That's why they drink vodka over there. You're better off spraying the vodka on those last words. <laughs> <laughs> back everybody you are listening to the agronomist happy hour and we have always another good one in store and no stranger to the podcast we have on with us today we have kyle stull or as many may know the rogue agronomist if they listen to the rogue agronomist podcast or subscribe to any of the uh, very wonderful commentary and blog post style of uh, agronomy that you do on tiktok and and I guess uh, they still call it Twitter, or is it X now, or is it just? I think technically it's still Twitter, but yeah, I think it's everybody says still says Twitter, but it's branded X, which I don't know. It's it looks like a play to try to get you to move your thumb from TikTok over there. That's the way it looks to me. I saw somebody with the uh, they rearranged their apps on their phone, and one was like an S for the logo, and one was an E, and then they had the <laughs> Twitter bird next to it, and they're like soon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go oh uh, uh, well you know it's 2023 people have a tough time uh identifying what they are or who they are so i guess social media is just in the same same boat <laughs> just trying to figure out who they are but uh anyways enough joking aside uh kyle i'm curious you know how are things going on your end of the world because in North Dakota, we've kind of got a tale of two worlds going on right now. If you're in the southern and especially western side of the state where I live, we, we've we got really good conditions. We're actually out of any risk on the U.S. drought monitor, if you look at it that way, and you get the entire northern tier where Jason is, and they're definitely a continuing and developing drought. But we've heard, and I've heard from other farmers I work with that have taken their kids out to Wisconsin Dells and out to Milwaukee, and they go... You want to see crappy corn and soybeans? Go drive to Wisconsin. Go look at that. And I know you're maybe a little further east of that area, but uh, how are things going there? Well, we're not we're not east of Milwaukee. We're actually west of Milwaukee. There's nothing east of. Milwaukee. Well, there's a lake east of Milwaukee, but I was thinking Madison, maybe or the Dells. <laughs> um, you know, I actually I'm not too far from Madison, so basically, I think the further west I go is about 20 minutes from Madison, so it's not far. Um, but yeah, you get. You get into some of our area, um, actually our worst looking corn was the corn that got rain in June. Uh, there was a couple of freak rain showers where I was scouting and literally like looking at 
the rain going through some of my guys' fields, and um, those fields totally did a 180 about two weeks ago. And it's just the drought stress, and they probably were they had plenty of moisture early, and not plenty, but they had more moisture early. And those plants just didn't put down the roots as some of these other plants had to. And yeah, that totally changed recently. But we, second and third crop was similar to 2021 for us, which was really bad. Um, I've had alfalfa that we seeded and it didn't come up for a month. Um, So then you try to figure out what herbicide to spray on that stuff. There's no one to call because nobody knows what to do with that because it doesn't normally happen. And, you know, on top of that, we've got... um, I mean, I've got fields of corn where there's corn tasseling, and then right next to it, you got like a V10 corn plant because it took three weeks for those to emerge. And I've got soybean plants that you're trying to stage it for herbicide or anything else, and it's it's a totally different story. So it's I don't think there's a consistent field from end to end here in southeast Wisconsin. And you know, you're trying to figure out what fields you want to put field signs on or anything like that, and you're just trying to pick the less crappy fields, pretty much. So, which which crops taking it worse? Do you think? Um, I would say corn. I mean, corn is definitely between corn and alfalfa. That's kind of our worst ones. Um, I've had some iffy wheat stands. Um, it basically just depends on how much uh, your percentage of gravel in your soil was. Um, I've also got guys that had their highest yielding wheat they've ever had. So for wheat, seems to like arid years. Uh, 2012 for us was some of the best yields we ever had on wheat until this year. And I've got some guys that are just having phenomenal wheat years. Um, then I have a guy that planted 12 acres and like nine acres of it's on a hillside and he had 45 bushel and he's like, what the hell happened? I said, well, what was the low ground? 110. I was like, yeah. So yeah, that, that was our potential. Essentially. We just, you know, that there's just no moisture in those hills and it's, uh, between corn and corn and alfalfa. That's been just, I've got some corn plants that shot tassels really early. You know, we got rain, they put out tassels all of a sudden, um, they're putting out pollen with the tassel still wrapped up in the last leaf. They've got silks that were out, you know, four or five days ahead of tassel emergence. You've got, I mean, I walk through fields that the silks are six inches long and there's some pollen anthers laying on the ground and I come out and I'm still, you can tell what shirt or what color my hat is. So that that's not good. Usually it should be yellow pretty much from right. me walking into a field. Um, then we got rain and now it's actually even and out a little bit, but I, I think we're going to miss the nick on some pollen or pollination on some fields. We're going to have, we're going to have some poor pollination and some, some hybrids. We're going to have just, really really uneven fields from edge to edge pretty much it's it's not going to be i keep telling people set realistic expectations and i I think that's kind of where we need to be um i'd I'd like to have 200 plus bushel corn here in in wisconsin but i I just don't see it happening and i I think i'm kind of waiting for the crop tour to get going at some point uh towards the end of the month here and and see when they actually get out in the field and see how that does because i i we've seen some of these rumors on twitter and stuff that Iowa and some of these other states are having a lot of the same issues we're seeing here, um, but you're just not hearing much about it, and the national yield just continues to stay high, and crop conditions ratings keep getting better almost, it seems like. So what's the average expectation for corn yields kind of in your area? Uh, for this year or for any just, year? Just in general, like an average an average year, or maybe, maybe not even just average, but what everyone likes to shoot for. Let's just go with that. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, when I first started, I mean, 150 to 175 was pretty normal. Um, but, you know, as, as we've increased in the last 15 years, we're 200 is a pretty easy number to get now. Okay. Um, I mean, easy by by most standards, but, it, you know, it's not something you just, like, we don't, we're not Illinois. We don't walk out the door and throw a bag of corn in the field and it's 300 bushel corn. So, <laughs> no, we, we have some really tough soil types. Um, but, yeah, 200 bushel is attainable for us. pretty easy. Um you know, if you want to get 250, yeah, that's that's probably our next like big goal. 220 to 250, somewhere in there for farm averages would be good. Um, and unlike soybeans, I don't. You, you, we're so weather dependent with how shallow some soils are. And you know, if I have a Pelo or a Plano silt loam, which would be like an Illinois type soil type, um, it's a Plano, but it's sitting on top of a you know, it's right next to a gravel pit because they're pulling gravel out mm. of the ground next to it. So it, great soil type, but there's just the subsoil is just terrible. So when you said uh, going back to that leets, you had 45 on the lighter soils and 110. What's uh, where you at for moisture compared to where you, you normally are on wheat? On on uh, just any crop, just you're where you're at on rainfall. Oh yeah, I mean, I think since April we're down like six inches versus normal. So okay. 
you know, for us during a growing season, we're usually in that 20 to 25 inches. I mean, our annual precipitation is 33 to 35, depending on which, which station we look at. Um, you know, and for our climate, you know, within 30 miles of the lake, I mean, I've got fields that touch the lake almost. Um, that's our normal thing. You know, I've got, I could probably tell you there's maybe a handful of irrigation tracks in Southeast Wisconsin that I know of. Um, you know, we're, we're more about tile drainage than we are irrigation because we usually can't get rid of the water. So we just, we're intensive into alfalfa and a lot of crops that need the water pretty much. And, you know, we're either too dry or too wet is kind of way we usually go. So hence the kind of big push you guys have had on cover crops then. Yeah, they, they work great in wet years. Um, they don't work so great in dry years. <laughs> it's been, somebody said, uh, there's it's ruined a lot of cornfields. And I was like, yeah, and also a lot of drone shots where I'm trying to take really pretty pictures of stuff we're doing. And <laughs> there's any any line of cover crop or anything. I mean, I've seen pictures where, uh, I actually have a field. Um, I got to get a picture of this sometime. Um, somebody no-tilled into standing rye. And the stuff that they worked, there's just like a corner of it they worked. That stuff was tasseling in like six, eight, six, probably six to eight feet tall. Uh, the rest of the field was like maybe mid thigh and tasseling where they had Ooh. cover crop. It sucked Ooh. that much moisture out. Yeah, that's. Um, I'm glad I didn't have any out, and I I thought about it just from a weed control standpoint. I'm probably yeah. getting some rye out for kosher. Yeah, I wish. I mean, I wish we could get better at cover crops, but for us, it's just it's. It's a gamble, and you know what do you do? Do you do you lose this year? Maybe it's 100 bushel of corn. It's probably more like 30 or 40. But you know, what, do you lose 30, 40 bushels of corn? Do you have you know easier weed control? You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's the scary thing. Um, we went through a thing this winter. Rodrigo Worley had some data about um, no or green planting or planting green some soybean data, and they compared it to Pennsylvania. And this is from 21. Their data was. It just didn't get the rainfall and those soybeans really suffered and Pennsylvania got the rainfall and their soybeans were great. And you didn't have any difference between, you know, the planting green and not planting green, but here it was like 20 bushels, 20 bushels of soybeans, a lot of money. It's 200 bucks. I mean, it's just, what do you do with that? So yeah. I think we need to understand that managing cover crops is a little different. You have to be prepared to kill that off. Planting green is, is great, whatever. But if, if it's going to be detrimental to yield, we, we just can't afford to do it. Right. You got to be ready to make a game time decision and, and terminate a lot sooner than what you may want to do as far as a weed control standpoint goes or a moisture management standpoint. Yeah, I, mean, I, I kind of want to get a, an excuse to get one of the pull-type UTV sprayers with like 60-foot booms and a 300-gallon tank. So <laughs> I'm just waiting for that wet year when they can't get these cover crops killed and we can get to go out and do some bigger spraying than what we already do. So <laughs> 20 foot sucks when you're doing 12 miles an hour. You're empty real quick. I wish I had a sprayer like that. I've got some edges of fields that need to be vaporized. Oh, you'd be so busy, Jason, if you had a side-by-side and a little 20-foot sprayer. Oh, Here, yeah. this guy, he hand-weeds stuff. Do you hand-weed stuff, Kyle? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Two days ago. Yeah. And I didn't, uh, between our dog going to the vet for her dental yesterday and a couple other things, I didn't leave leave the uh, the office yesterday, which, which was fine. But I burned myself out pretty good doing like five acres of hand-weeding, so... Yeah. Oh, the thing good agronomists will do for their farmers. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the funny thing is the guy I did it for last year, I fired him as a client because he basically (laughs) said, I suck and I don't do enough for him. I'm like, what the hell? I just did five acres of hand weeding. And then I sprayed a mile long of one row of corn right next to the road to make it look better. I'm like, screw you, dude. I'm like, I did a lot of extra work. I'll run across a patch or something and I just can't take it. I just, it's got to, it's got to go because it's just going to be a bigger problem for me later. Uh-huh. And it's just easier to spend 20 minutes or half an hour hammering it out and be done with it. I hate ragweed on the field edge for us is just a nightmare. You know, you'd rather have grass, right? So I've got in my truck, there is a gallon of Roundup. There's a gallon of 2,4-D and some NIS and five gallons of water and three um, 48 ounce sprayers, basically three pint sprayers that one's Roundup, one's Roundup 2,4-D and one is just uh, straight 2,4-D. And yeah, there's, there's ragweed in the field edge or there's, you name it. We basically just go out and spray it. So I've got guys calling me and they're like, well, I got, I got a water hemp on the side of my field. Actually, somebody yesterday said that he's like, I got this big water hemp plant. It just died one day. Like all of a sudden it's like curling up and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, yeah, I sprayed it. <laughs> yeah. Fields do look a lot nicer when you do that too. And it just keeps oh, like, anything from creeping in too. 
Yeah, and you, you give a crap. I mean, for me, I've, you've seen, I've we've all seen how, you know, an infestation on the edge of a field always seems to creep in. And, you know, if we could do a better job of some of these waterways we have here, you know, I've got waterways that are full of ragweed and that field's a ragweed problem field. Well, if we sprayed it two or three years in a row with 240 in that waterway, we'd probably just about eliminate most of that Roundup problem or that or ragweed problem. So, and I've done that and that actually works. So I've got some giant rag that's straight east of where I'm sitting right now, probably quarter mile and i can't get in there we're gonna to try to get it cut down here we gotta get some weed off and then it's just the way the and feel is and it's uh the, we sprayed it all last year by hand and this year felt pretty good about it this year it's bigger bigger patch you well, uh, giant ragweed has to be a relatively new weed to north dakota because i've never seen that much of it and i even had someone text me a picture goes what weed is this this is there's someone north of bismarck and i'm like go google giant ragweed oh yeah that's exactly what it is i couldn't find this in a book this stuff stinks. That's, yeah, it's like that's what it is. It sucks. I hate that. I don't want. I don't want that weed. The nice thing with corn, at least, is once you get brown silk, you can use 240D post emerge on corn. So that's my Roundup 240D mix, and we'll go and mm. at least try to clean up some of the edges or make them look nicer. And but yeah, you, you just ragweed's a nightmare to deal with sometimes. But water hemp until that came, that humbled a lot of guys. Now with the water hemp bull crap that we've got dealing with in the last couple of years. So. Switching gears, but speaking of corn, I know one thing we were we were talking about before we started recording was a lot about tar spot, and and so something that you know I think is I don't know if it's necessarily humbling a lot of people or scaring them or giving them all kinds of mixed feelings on how the hell to manage a a pathogen or a disease like that I guess, but uh you know it, we we got a lot of fun discussion about that topic and I think it'd be appropriate we spent some time and kind of discuss that some more on on just what's going on because you guys have been dealing with it maybe not this year with your drought conditions but you guys have definitely been dealing with in the past the way i understand it's more of like a high humidity area in the great lakes states and regions where you can smell the lake sometimes if i'm not mistaken from conversations <laughs> with you well, I, had, uh, when, I should send you a video i had a couple days ago where it was 90 degrees inland uh, i was a half mile from the lake and literally the lake fog it was moving inland into the field that i was in so you could see the fog moving into the field so that's when you smell the lake and that sucks um lake michigan's got some sewer issues in some spots but so what is what does lake michigan smell like (laughs) what did i tell you i said it smelled like uh seagull crap uh malorganite uh and something else mixed together but yeah basically it's it's like poop and poop and more poop (laughs) no it's it's a it's acquired smell. It's it's, it's kind of like uh, I don't know what this what this how to describe it. But it, it's a smell. I mean, you guys went fishing on a charter fishing deal, and you kind of know how that smells a little bit. Yeah, I was gonna say it's more not or less terrible, but it's just, yeah. it's got a smell. Yeah, it's it's not uh, offensive, but it's not pleasant either at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we. I mean, so tar spot was first found. I think that was in either northern Illinois or northwest Indiana, um, and those two areas were where they really found the first like beginnings of tar spot um and it's advanced from there and i mean we talked about i found a picture from 2017 we didn't know we had tar spot we didn't really know much about it and i had a picture of a cornfield and i I had told guys in the past i'm like i guarantee you we had this before we just didn't know it i found a picture from 2017 i was taking up some ears and in the background there's tar spot lesions on plants you know not terrible not like it was in 2018 but um, 2018, I swear they call it like an endemic. It was basically, we had the perfect weather in 2018. We had like 12 inches of rain in August. It was just wet all the time. I I had videos of mosquitoes just swarming my truck when you'd pull up to a field. Um, 2018 was the worst year we saw for tar spot. Yeah, I had, had a lot of guys getting uh, vomitoxin issues and some hybrids because you know, your molts got going. Plants basically died so fast. And we just, we had a lot of problems in 18. We've had issues since then, but it hasn't been as bad. It seems like it's also, it has spread in its footprint too. So, so kind of originated in that, you know, southern tip of Lake Michigan area, but it, but it's moved other places. Cause I, I just saw on Twitter, um, they, they had confirmed that there's like five or six counties in northeastern Kansas. Yep. That have confirmed tar spot this year. Yeah, and I told those guys, because I did a podcast episode with Matt McCoon, and I was like, oh, you guys have to worry about tar spot down there. You're so dry all the time. Um, but it does, I mean, it really does like humidity. It, it needs eight hours of leaf wetness. So we haven't been getting much of that. We just started getting more humidity and dews in the morning here. Um, 
but it, it likes that eight hour extended wetness period on the leaves. Uh, there's this famous picture of somebody's irrigation breaking down uh, a couple years ago in Michigan and the extension guy was out and they took a picture of, it had been treated with a fungicide, but the irrigation was still running, but they couldn't get more than a quarter inch out of it every pass. So they just continuously ran this irrigation mm. track. So where the irrigation touched tar spot killed that field pretty much. Um, so the leap wetness is the big part. The other part is that that nighttime temperature and the daytime temperature. We we I mean our average temperature right now is about eighty degrees, and we get those cool nights. And you know it's nice for sleeping, but it also is really good weather for tar spot. And that's that's where I think it separates us from more the southwest corn belt is where we have that higher humidity and the cooler temperature combination. And we get that temperature moderation from the lake. So interesting. It's almost like a. You know what? You know what? I'm listening to you explain the whole tar spot thing because obviously in North Dakota, it hasn't even been detected once. But really, any foliar corn disease, it's a it's a pretty rare deal yeah. for us, and and it's only a matter of time before we start to see some type of foliar corn disease. I mean, we have plenty of acres in the state, but um, the other disease I think of that we deal Ow. a lot with is white mold, where you're kind yep. of explaining the same continued leaf wetness high humidity conditions, cooler nighttime temperatures, moderate temps. It's it's a midwestern disease like they don't deal with white mold as they get further further south and Yeah, and you guys uh, sunflowers get white mold too, right? I mean, you got sunflowers, you, oh, you I got, got of our some more too, legumes yeah. and yeah, so Terrible. for us it's it's basically soybeans and that's it. So for you guys it would be like the perfect disease just about because your rotation is going to include something that's probably going to get it also. So Mhm. It's uh, it's like I was telling Oki here the other day White mold is like the internet. It's never been defeated. <laughs> right? Yeah. Really tough. Really tough. I mean, from our standpoint, uh, I mean, most of where I see it is probably on Twitter. And you just do a Google search or just type in tar spot. And in the last, I don't know, two weeks, that's you can find all the stuff. And it's surprising because you'll see some of these leaves and there's like one speck. And people are like, it's go time. We got to do this. <laughs> And so you're kind of one. I mean, you're just kind of curious as to, all right, is this something that just is it legit? Is it scare people uh, because of the yield potential on corn? But and then you you kind of I'm like I don't know what this latent period is. You know, it's like I don't I don't know anything about the disease. Yeah. So Philocrematus is the like Latin name for it. There's so there when it was in Mexico, it, it has um, what they call a complex. It has to form before you see the necrosis, which we see in Wisconsin and in the Midwest without the presence of that complex. So the, the second fungus that infects, and that's what they see in Mexico, we don't see that here. And we still see tar spot causing necrosis and then plant eventual plant death. So that's the scary thing, right? You know, we, we wonder what's the difference between the plants that survive with tar spot and what's the difference between plants that don't. Um, there is, I've seen it last year, I, I posted a video on TikTok about we had a field where uh, fertility was low. Farmer didn't apply fall fertilizer. Then you go the field right next door, same hybrid, same planting date, same soil type, better soil test. And then he applied uh, fall fertility to that field. Night and day difference on tar spot. So fertility makes a big difference. So if your plant's healthy and you got fertility correct and enough nitrogen, everything else out there, you have a lower risk of tar spot causing like significant yield loss. Hey. Um, the biggest factor is hybrid and genetics, and, you know, and that's that's what we've seen the last two years. I've had guys that didn't spray one company's corn with fungicide, and they sprayed the other one, and it still out yielded the one that they spray with fungicide, um, just because it still got tar spot even with the fungicide. Um, what what we do see with fungicide is if you spray it, it does have tar spot still show up, but we don't see the necrosis as bad, and that's kind of the same thing we've seen with some of the plants that have better plant health is that you don't see the eventual plant death you just you'll still see the tar spot lesions but you won't lose the plant as fast you know and when i say plant death that plants don't really just randomly die at like r3 we don't really see that until r5 and a half or whatever so i mean you, you look at the frost table you know what are we going to lose on yield and it, it's 10 bushels here it could be 20 bushels over there um there's an extreme case i think two years ago in southwest wisconsin three years ago where they, they got it early. It came in the end of July. Um, and there were cases where guys are saying they'd lost a hundred bushels. The problem is oh, wow. the seed companies are our, our source of information and fungicide companies. That's who's sending a lot of this data out well, because they have a lot to, to gain from it. So the seed company that has better tar spot ratings 
or actually publishes tar spot ratings because I can't find DeKalb's right now. That, that's kind of a scary thing. I had somebody ask me about the DeKalb tar spot ratings and I'm like, I, I can't get them. They're not on their website. You ask them about them, they don't, they don't have any information on it. I'm like, that tells you something about their lineup. Um, and we don't sell seed anymore, so I really don't care. Um, but to me, it, it makes a difference when genetics are playing a big part. But then the other side of that is there's a lot to gain from a retail perspective because you look at fungicide usage has gone significantly higher. And you now we've got drone spraying along with the, the helicopters and airplanes here and even ground equipment. You know, everybody's spraying fungicide just like it's going out of style. And we need to, you know, I, I showed you guys a slide a little bit ago about um, uh, Damon Smith at UW talking about SDHI resistance. And it's going to be a thing we're going to have to watch because, I mean, if we're going to go out and throw everything else aside uh, other than just spraying fungicide on hybrids, we're going to have to watch for tar spot to become resistant. I mean, the frog eye leaf spot is the one that everybody talks about with resistance to fungicides and tar spot very well could be in the future. So genetics and plant health are, are a big component of that what we can use for resistance or tolerance at least well and that's a it, it's actually an interesting perspective to think about you think about the worst diseases you have as far as uh, fast life cycles and easily overcome resistance and all that that frog eye leaf spot would be definitely one you think of one more uh, local to home for me and very small subset of acres but on the pulse crop acres astakita leaf blight really overcomes a lot of it, it has a quick life cycle, can have many generations in a year, and eat, it, it blew through strobies right away. And actually, SDHIs, we don't think we get as much length and residual control on that versus some of the triazoles and all that. But maybe the SDHIs are stronger on grasses. But regardless, I mean, that's, uh, it, that'd be terrible to have a disease that could develop fast or, or maybe develop so strongly in corn. I mean, that, that affects a lot of acres in a lot of places. Well, and I honestly, the SDHIs, yeah, I mean, there's... Um, there's a longer residual out of SDHIs, but I don't know if they're like bounds better than strobularin and triazole families that we've been using significantly. And, you know, if you look at the two best fungicides in the University of Wisconsin's data and a lot of the Midwestern University data, Veltima is one of the better ones, and that's just a, a strobularin and a triazole. And then mm -hmm. uh, the other one that's been really good was Delaro, and that's the same thing. Delaro Complete has an SDHI with it, but the there's a lot of these fungicides that do really well against tar spot. But I mean, it, to me, I think you think back to, to Roundup and what we did with water hemp is, you know, if we didn't kill it the first time, we just went back out with more Roundup and killed it the second time. You know, we always were on that revenge spray essentially. And we, we can't get into that mindset or that kind of management with tar spot. Also, I, I you know, it's hybrid selection. It's, it's setting a lot of these things up in advance. And, you know, we start doing all the revenge stuff. That's when we get in really big trouble. And that's where I'm, I'm worried about liberty. I don't think glufosinate is going to be too far behind on resistance in water hemp and Palmer. And because that's, that's our, you know, there's a company here that called it, that's, that's their hammer is essentially liberty mixed with enlist and Liberty's so great. And I'm like, you know, there's a reason liberty sucked forever and nobody wanted to plant liberty genetics because it, wasn't the greatest herbicide in the world well now here we are we're spring liberty as our rescue on everything so and and that's a good point to bring up too though because okay resistance management at least with weeds that's something we can see that's something yeah. we can have a better time understanding when it comes to a pathogen and a disease we are not necessarily seeing uh are we fully uh stopping a disease are we fully preventing it are we spraying after we see it and when uh you know, Jason brought up this latency period, and and I know we talked off air. I can't remember if that was recorded or not, but uh, this tar spot has how long of a latency period from so the, the point of infection before it actually gets going or visible? Yeah, our initial thoughts in Wisconsin was, or well, I think any Midwestern university was, the latency period was 14 to 21 days. Um, there was some data shared at a meeting last year that it, they thought it could be up to 40 to 45 days. So we were looking at the map of where tar spot is showing up right now. And I said, yeah, if you look at that map, that was the area of Iowa that had rain a month ago. And that's where they're finding tar spot in the last week or so. And yeah, so what you're seeing is that latency period show up. And the issue with fungicides is fungicides do have somewhat of a reach back on disease. Um, but it's only maybe on a tar spot inf infestation it's maybe three to five days. So if you've got tar spot that's been in that plan for two weeks, it's still going to show that postule or the, the lesion is going to show up. And 
that's the issue is you could spray fungicide and still see it. So then there's a lot of these guys that I've seen on Ag Talk, you see it on Twitter that say, you know, I sprayed fungicide and then, you know, a week later they're out looking at their fields and tar spots back. What fungicide am I spraying next? And when, how soon after the last fungicide can I spray? You got to realize that those lesions aren't going to continue to grow because you actually applied fungicide. You got to understand that they're still going to show up even if you did. And I think that's, that's the scary thing with the latency period is even if, even if you spray it, they're still going to come, you know, and it, it's, it's a disease where, you know, we've seen gray leaf spot. I don't know if you guys experienced much gray leaf and Northern corn leaf blight where you guys are, but Not in corn. you know, our, our way of scouting for that was we'd scout and look for it and be like, okay, well, here's, here we're, here's where we are on infestation. It's here. The weather is conducive for it. So, you know, we look at the disease triangle and we've got the, the host, we got the pathogen or pathogen, and the weather looks good. So maybe we should consider fungicide and we might look at hybrid ratings a little bit and how they respond. And with tar spot, I think by the time you see it in a field, you're already too late for spraying. You basically should have been spraying two weeks ago. And that's the scary thing with tar spot. And, you know, without hybrid ratings for half the seed industry on this, it yeah. makes it really difficult to pick and choose which fields you want to go and do. And, you know, so then we'll just spray everything. Well, then you know, the list gets really long and you're spraying at R4 all of a sudden because, you know, they've been occupied elsewhere and you got corn that if you spray it, it's, you know, maybe it delays its maturity just a little bit. And all of a sudden how we got 25% moisture corn and why the hell did you tell me to spray for tar spot? And why did I even bother with this? Because I didn't see any yield gain from it. And yeah, we have a lot of these issues. And I, we were, um, I posted a thing on Twitter. Um, I want to say it was yesterday or the day before talking about, um, there's a lot of people making management decisions based on, you know, they're pushing for yields, you know, let's not give up on this crop. It's great. Look how good it looks from the road. And where do you want to be when that farmer calls you and says, Hey, I pulled into that field. We sprayed all this fungicide on there's no tar spot, but the corn's 140 bushels and it looks like garbage. What the heck did you tell me to put, you know, $40 worth of stuff on this for? Cause now I I'm losing my butt on it. So I, I think that's the thing we got to practice IPM. You got to make a good plan. Um, you've got to understand how that affects the grower's bottom line. Do you want to be that guy that gets that phone call? Those are difficult ones to back up. And then the next year when you're trying to sell them, you know, for your nutrition or whatever it is, they're going to think twice about it. So I, I think retail has a really good place in this, but they just, you got to look at what's right for the farm and what's right for understanding how this is going to work. Um, but retail has a lot of opportunities with tar spot to make a lot of money, um, which sucks but it, it is what it is if we spray tar spot and it works great that's awesome um it's good for retail if they can get more application business and it's nice to see retail survive and do well but we also want to make sure we're making the right recommendations on the right acres right and that gets tougher if you're talking a month to a month and a half of the yep. initial infection and not seeing the the actual disease appear so will that force uh or maybe not force but you know as if, if that becomes more common or that becomes more well-known that the latency period is that long, will will there be more prophylactic spraying, you thinking? Yeah, I mean, there happen? is. Yeah. There's already. I mean, I had... Um, human nature. Well, if you look at the the new fungicide that came out for Infro, or, well, it used to be Infro, now it's 2 by 2 because we had too much of an issue with it, but Zyway and Wisconsin talked about that at our winter updates this year. And they're concerned about Zyway because it's a triazole. And yes, it has longer residual. It does somewhat keep tar spot from starting in fields, but it, you know, it doesn't, you're not going to get season long residual out of a fungicide application at planting, but Mm-mm. they're concerned you're exposing triazoles and triazoles for us is a pretty big chunk of the market. And that's, that's a scary thing. I mean, you have rust and a lot of these other diseases we see in wheat and other, other crops, if we lose triazoles, that would really suck. So I think that's the thing. We have to kind of gauge how much of that we want to do. So what we did this year with our clients that I work with is, all right, so this is this hybrid. We know that thing is just terrible on tar spot. I'm not telling you not to plant it because yield potential is really good with it, but maybe we put Zyway on that one, but nothing else. And then we base our foliar or fungicide applications based on, you know, tar spot ratings with those hybrids, which like I said, you know, half the seed industry, you can't get them. So you, you kind of go on past experience. And then you also look at, you know, genetic families and, you know, we kind of pick and choose. And I think IPM needs to be a good part of that. You know, prophylactic spraying is really good. But there's the problem is, I mean, we have so many people that say, you know, I saw a 25 bushel bump. Well, 
the problem is with us, we've seen guys that get a 10 bushel bump, and by the time you know next year's fungicide season rolls around, they're telling everybody else they got a 25 bushel bump, and then I don't know why it makes everybody feel better about everybody <laughs> doing the same thing they're doing. Um, I've got a TikTok I haven't fully recorded yet, but I was gonna you know talk about why farmers don't go to the grocery store, and I was gonna have somebody pulling like a burrito out of out of the frozen food section, and the farmer going up to him and be like, hey. I don't know if you want to eat that because that's got I got the hot hot shits after eating that stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the way it is. I mean, you look at farmers buying stuff and they all do that. You know, that you walk into the retailer. I, I, you guys probably don't anymore, but oh, come on, no no smiles. All right, now I got to be like Joe Biden. No, you got to laugh at that. Um, I've, I've no. eaten that. I've eaten that burrito, Kyle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, I, I you walk in a retailer and there's a farmer standing there and you say, ah, I need a gallon of whatever fungicide. And they're like, oh, I wouldn't use that stuff. I used that last year. It sucks. It's like, who do I know who you are? That, that's that's the interjection we always get. They always have to tell everybody their opinion on stuff. And there, there's this constant peer pressure. I had people calling me uh, yesterday saying, you know, I know we talked about not spraying fungicide on my soybeans. It's been so dry. And, you know, the risk of tar spot or of white mold in our beans is pretty low. And I don't see any disease out there. And we treat it with the Levo pre-emerge. And, but my neighbor's out spraying. And I, I got the stuff sitting in the shed. Maybe, can I, what do you think? I, if I went out and did 100 acres, do you think that would be the worst thing? I'm like, no, let's go spray 100 acres. But that, that peer pressure thing, you need to see the helicopter flying. You know, we talked about this before. You, I could pull a sprayer out of the yard and go drive around in, in early April in Wisconsin. And people would be calling, asking about what we're spraying. What are we doing? Where are you going? It's oh, just and- that constant peer pressure. Everyone's situation is completely different. It's not always the the climate that that's in a general area. If you're you're trying to manage for disease, like I'll, I'll use a fusarium head blight as an example here. Something yep, everyone in North Dakota deal well, and then your winter wheat acres, same thing. But yep. um, rotations could be completely different. You could be growing, uh, you know, if you're just doing wheat on soybeans or wheat on canola, and you have a let's say a low risk or a mild risk of fusarium head blight and you have a moderately resistant variety, you probably don't need to do anything, you know, and you're not fungiciding. And so maybe that's the call you were given to say, don't do anything, but your neighbor might've planted something that's been wheat on wheat or even more so like wheat on corn. I see that a lot out here. And then on top of that, you're growing a moderately susceptible variety and they're spraying. So you can't always use that. Well, my neighbor's doing this, so I should be doing it mentality. You know, everyone's situation's unique and different. Yeah, and you get the good farmer thing. Oh, that he's a good farmer. He's got good yields. I'm like, have you ridden in the combine and seen his yield maps and everything else? Well, no, but you know, from the road, it looks really good. And he always tells everybody he's getting 250 bushel corn. Okay, you know that's how we judge a good farmer is by somebody who's outspoken and 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 basically goes out and brags about it. Sometimes, you know, it, to me that that those are the guys that should be the immediate. They're, they're the uh, social media influencers of the farm world, pretty much. Are the guys that go out and spray the bunch of sites and stuff. <laughs> I feel like whatever product that guy's using, I'm going to use. Well, we have we have a on the head scab piece. So 21, we didn't spray. It was a zero fungicide year from the beginning. Not even anything early at that three to five leaf on any cereals. Now, so this year we get into that same period, and sometimes the barley contracts. They kind of require you to put on a fungicide because they don't want to have, they want as low of vomitoxin levels as they possibly can. And I had to really, we had a stretch where we got a little bit of rain in some of my early fields, we put fungicide on. And I'd have consultants call me saying, hey, my guys are calling me, asking me why your guys are putting fungicide on. And I'm like, well, here's the deal. It's the variety that we got out there. It probably would benefit, but it's going to be my two early fields. And after that, there, was, there wasn't enough moisture to support it. And I still had to talk to people. We have the crop. We do not have the environment. We do not have the disease. So two, two-thirds of that triangle isn't there. And then the next week, it's like, oh, my crop's burning up. But do you think we should still put fungicide out there? Like, no, it was. So you had to walk back. And, and I don't know if you see this, uh, Kyle, is that uh, we've, we've uh, we got some new fungicides on cereals. And our two-row barley stays green a long time. So that SDHI makes it stay green a long time. <laughs> so I don't know if you see that in corn. You know, maybe maybe it's not the disease thing, but if it keeps the plant greener longer. So we got to be kind of, yeah, we're not, I'm not going to use probably this one and that one on my two-row. I'll move to these because the grain's dry. That's ready to go. But it's like it's you're, it's like you're mulching out the back end of it. It's like you're more spinning out the combine. That, 
that's kind of what we see with soybeans when you put fungicide on. Soybean fungicide does tend to make those plants stay green longer. You know, we've seen, I mean, you, I don't know if you guys see a lot of the, the disease issues we run into sometimes with, uh, there's like bean pod mosaic, there's, uh, or soybean mosaic, uh, there's some of these viruses that get into plants and they just never die. They just, the, the pods could be dead or brown or in the plant still perfectly green. Sometimes fungicide does that a little bit, you know, any kind of disease or injury to a plant can have those plants do that. And for corn, moistures. With, with fungicides sometimes, you know, if you do it at the wrong time, uh, we don't get the accurate, like a decent amount of weather or heat after that. You know, last year I had guys that were combining 25% moisture corn and they were wondering why they sprayed fungicide and their neighbors out doing 18%. You know, that's, that's a big problem, especially with us where we do soybeans first and then corn because we want that corn to feel dry as best we can. And we're combining a lot of corn in, you know, near freezing or at freezing temperatures. You don't see a lot of dry down after that usually. So mm-hmm. that's where our struggle is. You know, we only have so much growing season in, in our area. And you guys are in the same boat we're in too. You know, you just, we're not planting things that are going to mature so early that, you know, if we don't get it off the field, it's still going to, you know, feel dry. We, we just don't have that opportunity in Wisconsin. You basically have to grow as long a maturity as you're comfortable with but also have the opportunity to have dry corn. And that's that's the scary thing. I mean, if we've got guys that we grow anything here from 90-day corn all the way up through 115-day silage, and some years that 115-day silage gets taken for high-moisture corn, well, high-moisture, high-moisture corn. So you have to understand that, you know, you only get so much growing season. It's, it's a struggle every year because it changes so much. Yeah, that would be hybrid selection and maturity selection mostly in the north where yeah, you got to beat you got to beat a frost you also got to have it dry down before it snows and try to get it off and there's some years especially for us in north dakota where we don't some fields just don't get combined before it snows and then it's stuck there all winter and then you have a real problem and yeah you guys when the what was it two years ago you had all the uh the snow early and you didn't get the froze or freeze into 20, the ground 2019 much. i think was the last year we had it real bad yeah, yeah, if you get a couple feet of snow and it never goes away all winter, that's a problem if you don't have any frost in the ground because that ground is just mud in spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to the whole, you know, fungicide use thing. I keep hearing this more prophylactic spraying, this more early and often thing, and we just don't have uh, enough modes of action and enough tools in the toolbox, so to speak, to really work on a resistance management standpoint. But it's a tough one because people can't see what they're doing to that and and that's the part that's scary because uh strobies are usually the first one to fall because they have no curative properties they have no stopping power it's all preventative and so it seems like and and that's my fear of like the sdhi thing is a good tool now but or a good additive you know something a good kicker for these but it's like i'd hate to start seeing that weekend or or get that being lost so it's it's tough to find you know with without all the information on this tar spot piece if you've got yep. some some genetic lines that are good with tar spot and some that are poor and you have some companies that want to give ratings and some, some that companies say that that's not even a thing there's no hybrid tolerance to tar spot i i literally screenshotted those from a year or two ago from the companies that were talking about that that every hybrid gets it there is no advantage to hybrid selection so when your seed dealer is saying that, you know, there's no advantage to it, to me, that would be the major red flag that you're like, holy crap, your lineup sucks. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a tough situation, you know, because that some of those lineups might be good in certain respects. But if you have that disease and you have that present, then that might eliminate that. But it also tells me that you can't be throwing all your eggs in one germplasm basket either. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and you grow three different companies and they're all coming from corn states. That's a problem. But, you know, that's. That's the thing you got to understand that there's some sharing between genetic families. Well, yeah, you know, the Kalb and pioneers say that their their hybrids are their hybrids, which 100% true, you know, and, and people have verified that essentially. But that doesn't mean that this hybrid's female inbred isn't being used in somebody else's lineup. And maybe that female is susceptible to tar spot also. So that it's a the biggest thing is, you know, what do you what do you do when your your best advisor that you work with is your seed dealer who's telling you that there's no hybrid difference and go spray every field with fungicide and he's the guy that owns the drone and sells you the fungicide too so you know there's there's a lot of that that happens also but then you hear these horror stories from people that tell you that they lost so much yield and it's just a terrible thing so it's an interesting position we're in because i i will say this those who sell seed 
I, I believe are better at positioning their hybrids, their varieties, than those of us that are just helping uh, with all the rest of the agronomic advice that don't touch seed, that don't do seed training, that don't know products. But, you know, in the same respect, you're only as good as the lineup you currently are positioning and selling to. And when you have a disease like this, and and there's other agronomic things, we're going to keep picking on the tar spot thing when there's no standardized way to... Yeah rate tar spots so company a company b company c all have unique germplasms and company a may have uh, a tar spot ratings and they you know from good to bad but then you get to company c and their their number one might be the the last place one for company a's as far as ratings go and so it's kind of the conundrum we're in i posted a picture on twitter last year about that and we had pioneers um Mid of, mid of the pack, like middle of the pack, rated hybrid for tar spot tolerance. And then you had what the Calvis told their dealers is kind of their middle of the road. You know, it's, it's kind of the steady eddy. You know, it's not going to have the worst tar spot ever, but it's it's not going to be the worst we have on tar spot. And both of those in the same field, it was way night and day difference. And, you know, it's just, and that's the struggle is pioneers uh-huh. rating themselves against their lineup to Calvis rating themselves against their lineup. Every, every seed company does that. And it's not just tar spot they do it on everything and that that's a major struggle for a lot of these guys and you know and you could be really good at placing hybrids and not understand how some of this stuff works either too and you're you're only as good as the information you're being told also at the same time unless you're out in the field and looking at some of these research plots i mean but a lot of people don't get access to that right think, there's there's the tough part i think some of it too is you see a lot of it uh, particularly on tiktok is the uh the coolness of the ground application that's going on when you're putting that on in corn, right? There, everybody's getting that visual. They're in their high clearance sprayer doing that stuff. I just, I just, I'm scrolling through Twitter while you guys are talking, and I did find a picture. See that are drones, right? Yeah, drones yeah. taking stuff, and so there's more of a, I don't know, I suppose awareness or a per, you want to participate in it to some degree that prophylactic spraying type thing. But found a picture here. It's this was from 21 August 11th. There's like a spot August 23rd maybe 40 spots september 3rd this leaf is like yep. brown it's just toasted so it's that's, a week sometimes yeah. it's a week you come you look at a field and you're like holy crap there's a lot of tar spot here and you come back a week later and it is brown to the ground hmm. and it's the corn dries down really fast which is <laughs> really nice but you, you lose some test weight sure but and that that disease then is it uh it's on the residue at harbors so it's the wet wetness again it's like uh I guess a rust type thing where it's in this in your residue and it that's where your inoculum starts it doesn't come up from uh, like we get a lot of our rust comes from the south it doesn't some of it overwinters but not scab, you can, your leaf and stem, yeah it yeah. doesn't it's, it's you can a, tell and you can tell where on the planet infects initially where it came from so if it's from the residue we see it in the lower part of the canopy if we if it's from you know another field or it's coming in through the wind it'll be in the top you know, a few leaves of that corn plant. So that's, that's the thing. I think, um, once you see it down in that canopy, it's, it's, uh, I don't know when you, when you think that basically you are kind of safe from tar spot and you start seeing it show up and you're like, ah, you know, it's just my neighbor's fields. It's amazing how fast in 2018 it went from like, oh, we found a few of these to holy crap. Every field has it and it's everywhere and hybrid differences show up. You see all kinds of different things show up with this stuff. You can't necessarily rotate away from it. I mean, it's obviously no, in the it's, residues, it's but you're, you could try all you want. But it, it's not like some disease where you know you have to have that residue on the surface. Um, there's been some data that basically showed that that doesn't matter. You know, it, if it's corn on beans, corn on corn, corn on whatever, it, it's still going to get tar spot. So if it's really susceptible, it's really, really going to get it. If it's a if it's a year that it's going crazy, so so really the the best management practice. You know, you're talking about plant health, and all that means is good plant fertility. So, so if a person was to prioritize, maybe you know, you know, within your own like local area, your own local hybrids that you or your neighbors grow, or for you, Kyle, your network of uh, farmers that you work with, you you kind of built an understanding at least within what's used there, what's susceptible, what isn't, and maybe that's just how you prioritize that one that's susceptible but can still yield really well. You know, maybe those are what kind of get positioned on better fertility fields, and you you try to you try to you try to do kind of all the right little incremental things, and and yeah. that's where you focus your fungicide app still. To yeah, I think the, the 
I'm not going to totally discount a hybrid based on tar spot rating. And, you know, that's, it is what it is. Um, there's some hybrids that yield really well and they have terrible tar spot ratings and it just has to be managed correctly. I mean, it's, it's a management thing. I think it, it's like anything, you know, I have people that always ask me every year, how do I get, uh, what can I do to my beans at R3 to add more yield? And I'm like, no, this is, this is protection time. This isn't necessarily adding a bunch of yield. This is where you protect the yield that you created early. And I think uh, a high yielding corn, high yielding soybeans, any crop, the, that is not just something you decide in the middle of season that, well, my crop looks really good. I'm going to add a bunch of yield by spraying it with whatever. And I, I think you guys can hopefully echo that. But I think having a high management is is something you do preseason. We have a plan and we execute that plan through the season and we're just protecting that yield at this point. And I think that's the same thing we, we have to do with disease. We do that with weeds, you, anything. If you have a poor plan going into the season, you're not going to there's a, a point where you basically raise the white flag and you're just like, all right, this is it. It is what it is. That's it. That's There's nothing else we can do to improve this. This sounds like a similar message with a totally different topic that we were having, Jason and I, at a at a speaker session here earlier this week. Ours is on weed control, but you, you touched it there. Those who have a plan and can stick to the plan, even if there are wrenches thrown into the season like prolonged drought conditions or even extreme wet weather or you know just the adversity of of what farming is but if you have a plan then at least you know where you're going to start and how you can deviate and how that may affect things but it all starts with good planning and and running with that and and usually those that just totally fly by the seat of their pants have a lot tougher time water hemp has done that to us you know it it's there's been a couple years now where people said you know it's a dry spring I'm going to not put down a pre-emerge herbicide on my soybeans. I'll just do it post. <laughs> it used to be good. You used to be able to do that. You can't do that anymore. And even if there's not that much rainfall, it, you just have to selectively use whichever pre-emerge that uses the least amount of rainfall activation. But you still need to put that on. Where we didn't put that on, I'm still chasing weeds. You know, we, we've we sprayed some of those fields two, three times trying to kill water. And it's just, we got behind the eight ball right away and... Now your 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 saving of twenty dollars for a pre-emerge chemistry is costing you. You know, I got a guy that got quoted a rescue pass of like sixty bucks the other day with herbicide and everything. It's like, you know, twenty bucks got you sixty bucks. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Our, our message was you're going to have to start doing some things differently if you're sitting here listening to us talking about this subject, and some of it might be some things you don't like to do or don't want to do. But what do you? I've got what? a weed zapper running around. I mean, you guys want to borrow that? That'd be great. How, yeah. how much? What's the upper? How much? Uh, what's what's uh, what can you get done with that? Um, depends on how big the beans and stuff are. I mean, it, it's organic. I, I've got about seven or eight hundred acres of organic that we consult on. Um, this year's more of my learning year, trying to understand what they're doing, and then we've been trying to like plan out next year's program more than anything because that's another place you get behind the eight ball on weed control and organic, you are screwed for the rest of the year. I mean, we we have uh, at our disposal with that farm, I've got. Uh, rotary hose i've got you know cultivators got a couple different kinds where we can throw it onto the row where we can actually just weed out between the rows and then we also have a flamer option there as well so i can do a a flame where it's actually spraying down right next to the plants and then i've got the weed zapper that we can kind of utilize so we're also doing that and we're talking about cover crops well they got burned with cover crops so now what do you do you know you kind of have a bad bad place so we're we're trying to use you know, with the flamer this year, we, we got behind, and anything that was over six inches tall, we didn't kill it. So we missed the water hemp. We missed the ragweed that we were trying to kill. But we killed some grass, but it, it turned into a revenge weapon. So we're trying to, we talking, uh, I was talking the other day about timing that with GDUs a little bit. And with the weed zapper, essentially, we can't do anything until the weeds are above the canopy of the beans or corn or whatever you're going after. Um, but it's kind of interesting to watch how that works. If there's a few weeds out, you'll see the individual, like, zaps. Um, but if the whole field is just like a carpet of ragweed, you just see them go over it and you're like, oh, well, it didn't do anything. They're still standing up straight. And by the time they get the pass coming back with the, the next pass, they're, they're curled up and they look like garbage. And it, it's it's effective. It's very, uh, very visual. It's like spraying Gramoxone or Dicamba or something on some really susceptible weeds. But um, they're not going very fast. I mean, he's probably doing three, four miles an hour. Yeah. You know, because you're constantly moving that boom up and down just to make sure you're not 
brushing the beans or the crop that you're in. So that that's a struggle. Is it's it's a very labor intensive process. And our organic is. I mean, they've got two three people that are working basically full time trying to do weed control until I think we just did the last weed zapping pass this week. And yeah, that's that's a lot more than what they would like to do. But the the whole goal I think we got to get at is with them is to try to get that on a schedule a little bit. We're gonna try that out next year. We'll see how that goes. But it's the same thing with anything we see is. If you get behind the eight ball right away, it really sucks. But yes, it, these zappers are cool. I'll show you some pictures, Jason. I would. I, I, there was that. Uh, it, I don't know. It was the we. It was a trader that posted it. But off of there was that that flat field. Looked like the crop was about I don't know two three inches tall. And there was that slow moving weed zapper, and it was you know doing stuff with the laser, and it just blew up on social media. And all I could think of was we at our talk. Kyle and I were at, we told guys to slow down from 18 miles an hour to 10, and they'd lost their mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with like a conventional chemistry. Yeah. Right. On a and sprayer. They, well, yeah. This thing looks How like How many it's gallons going. are they spraying? Well, we <laughs> talked about that too. <laughs> and we, I said that I was going to run on a political platform, and I had two main issues. And that is you're going to slow down, and you're going to spray more water. And the bottom line was, I was not going to get away. They they don't like you too much. Yeah. <laughs> I when we bought when I bought the sprayer that I put on the back of our our, our UTV, um, they came with eight eight gallons per acre boom like nozzles, and at that was eight gallons per acre at six miles an hour. I'm like, I'm not driving freaking six miles an hour. Twelve is what I want to be. Ten to twelve. So I went the next step up, and then I went the next step up again until I finally got the pressure and everything I liked and. Yeah, I'm still running 10 gallons at, at 12 miles an hour, and it, it does a really good coverage. Um, I'm going to try some 3D nozzles next year when we do some of these foliar trials and see what that does. Oh. But the underlying message I, I've been hearing the whole time, if it's on the tar spot topic or now we're talking about organic weed control or just uh, <laughs> Jason's political platform. We got off is, in the weeds, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We always go off in the weeds. That's always, that's always our MO, but... At the same time, it's always having a plan, right? So that's uh, if there's one thing listening to the end of this that, that you take from this is it's never too early to plan. I think there's always an underlying message when you would hear any of us, not any three of us here uh, on any circumstance. I think we would say that there needs to be a plan. I was hearing you talk about the organic weed control thing, saying we need to be more on a schedule and, and have this more planned out. And when it comes to the tar spot, obviously there's a lot of things that need to be thought about hybrid selection that involves a plan uh where you place the hybrid that involves a plan how you manage that fertility wise involves a plan how you're going to use those fungicides involves a plan and so you definitely and and if you don't have that plan then it's easy to fall behind and when you fall behind and all you're doing is catching up then you you never get there you're always just you're exhausted physically and mentally. you never you never accomplish yep. what you're trying to get done yeah yeah i mean for me if i uh so I have another analogy, and no one steal my freaking TikTok ideas. I've got some really good ones. I really like your TikTok. I, I really do. I got it. You got it. You got a few weeks, Kyle. So you're just. It's like a. It, it's just like a stop or a you know countdown I, watch here. So you can throw so your idea out because it should me, be out by then, right? Selling the seed, not selling seed at all. Mm. We, we sold all of our seed equipment. I always tell her. I told people lately. It's like I Cortez myself. I basically burned the ships. We're we're 100 consultant. And so we, we sold everything. I am an independent consultant and that's, that's me. That's all I'm going to do. And I, I want to host a meeting sometime where I do the talk right before lunch because everybody always hates that spot because you're between lunch. I'm like, that's an awesome spot to be in because if you're actually interesting at all, they're going to be like, this is great. But I want to do one where I play a video of somebody who is doing an oil change or rotating tires, doing something that all of us, you know, in agriculture would say is just like the easiest thing and they're doing it wrong. You've seen those videos where guys are just like, I cannot believe how stupid this guy is. He can't figure out how to rotate his tires. Mm -hmm. You know, he's putting the, the left front on the, he's just doing it wrong. I can't believe he does that. And when they change the oil, they run the engine for a couple seconds after they take the plug out or something. And I want to play one of those videos. And then I want to tell guys, you know, I, I quit my, my day job with a, with a steady paycheck. Didn't take pay for six months. I, totally went out with no business, nothing lined up other than I had, you know, what I was going to do. I just didn't have, you know, I basically went from nothing to where I'm at and did all that work. And I've worked with you guys. And now here I am, I'm basically burning my ships on the seed industry side. I, I'm for the first time in 15 years of my career, I'm, I'm not selling seed. 
how do you think it looks to me when, you know, we say, um, you know, I tell you to use a pre-merge and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do my thing. And then you spray early post on soybeans and then you have water hemp and I'm out like looking at, you know, Jason are out there hand weeding that field. That's how that looks to me. It looks like, you know, you watching that video of the guy who can't figure out how to fix his car or whatever it is. That's how that looks to me. It's because it's like I've seen this a hundred times. I know what I'm doing. You hired me. I basically, you know, sacrificed everything I could to do this for for being a professional. And then I'm watching you guys make these mistakes that it's just like, it's so simple. Like some of these planning mistakes are just so simple. We could just take care of this, makes it a lot easier. And that's the same way I feel when I watch, you know, I walk into a field and I'm like, God, it's just too easy. You know, we, we spray this too soon. We spray it too late. Our plan was this and then you made it, made it, made a huge issue out of it. And that's how I feel watching those videos. And that's, that's something I thought I would, would do. And if I ever got a public speaking gig, but Maybe someday. That would happen. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think that would be that would be a little bit of a laugh at first, and then guys going, So what, what, well, a, what, what it really asshole. needs to happen is you need to be the one rotating your tires or yeah. or doing something like that and then have oh, someone doing something that's mechanical. Wrong. Whoa, 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 you're doing that's this That's not how wrong. I'd do it. That's, that's the farmer thing. You know, it's like them talking about the burrito in the, the freezer aisle at the grocery store. Like, <laughs> I got a couple other ones at the grocery store. But anyway, yeah, they like to interject stuff. And, you know, that's like I posted TikTok. That's not how I do it. That's pretty much like the thing that they always tell everybody. It's like, geez. My my boys came back from, they went to a football game and they stopped at a, a restaurant like that. And there was like two roller dogs, right, that had been sitting on that thing and going and going. Did they celebrate a birthday? <laughs> they were coming back from this football game and they're like hungry, I think hungover. And they're like, they looked at this, there was two of them, there's the two of them. And they go, what could go wrong? So they brought them with it. And, Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> so lesson learned that doesn't it'll, it'll happen again. You know, you think that's you're like, immune, you're immune to it. It won't happen again. That's second a, time. Is that a friend's episode where like Ross has the taco story that he hasn't told anybody about, and then Chandler tells Monica, and she's like, "Oh my god, you pooped your pants on the, the roller coaster at Disney World." <laughs> You told her the taco story? <laughs> he was feeling kind of iffy. <laughs> well, iffy is, is here we're talking about fungicide in the drought. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's, that's sort of, but that's kind of consultant stuff. I mean, I'm still actually thinking about, okay, how did we, we didn't spray fungicide this year on a lot of my cereal crop, but you're, you're constantly still, I mean, I'm, I, I feel pretty confident about it, but you still, there's always that, thing of doubt and this mm-hmm. year I had, feel pretty good about it but still it's you're always you're always thinking about stuff even if I it's had somebody season. puts uh, 115 pounds of nitrogen on some corn text message from my wife um yes my my text message tone is the john deere gps like that's what i was wondering zoom and yeah um that was a cool one i love that one um but anyway um oh, i totally forgot what i was talking about thanks megan <laughs> <laughs> she screwed me up now dang it happens all the time she she even knows i'm on this i'm like don't text me or anything but she i have a hair appointment i forgot about it but yeah it's just i don't even know what i was talking about now i'm screwed thanks john deere <laughs> thanks john deere. Thanks, Megan. Me but hey that now you that know you what? put it on a podcast episode i'll probably be like oh now you owe us royalties gotta pay to use that tone <laughs> people are going to be looking it up on how they make the ringtone now yeah uh yeah literally i went and found somebody had the sound online and there is a way to basically take that sound and make it into a, a ringtone slash text tone on your phone using itunes and uh i've perfected that so i haven't had to pay for a ringtone ever but uh it's it's a little bit of work but it's nice it's pretty freaking cool when your ringtone is that um I've got a couple text tones that are like the bin full alarm for a CNH monitor, which I had to take off my phone because my dog freaks out. I don't know why. <laughs> he doesn't like the the bin full alarm. So apparently he's got some farmer in him because you know when the bin full alarm alert goes off, you get kind of nervous. So apparently that's what happens to him. So <laughs> <laughs> got to find some Star Wars noises and do that. That'd be entertaining. Oh yeah. Anyways, case, yep. Create an AAC <laughs> version. That, that's the easiest way I can tell you to do it. So you'll figure it out. And there, folks, we got off in the weeds. But uh, we're going to cut this off for this episode. There it goes again. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Thank you, Kyle, for coming on and, and mm-hmm. talking uh, organic weed control there at the end. and the. Uh, I like a challenge. 
the farmer burrito analogy. <laughs> I mean, you get a good laugh out of that. And I don't know, obviously all the tar, tar spot discussion. So, you know, I don't hopefully... know if I could do organic. That would be, that would be just, I'm just thinking 700, 800 acres. I don't know if that would be up my alley to tell you the truth. You yeah, only see. if he could just light it all on fire. You're a pyro. <laughs> well, when he said the burning thing, I was like, ah. Oh, oh yeah, I saw your eyes light up. I could, I could handle so, that. So we'll have yep, to go find some true blue organic agronomist person sometime to I, talk to and, and do this. I think organic has a, there's a lot of potential there. And if you can do it right, it looks really cool. It's, it's a challenging thing. So to me, it's, if I can take something from that and put it into our other stuff, that's, let's do it. Oh, there's, so. there's a lot to glean from the people that do organic. Uh, that's like, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Callie Organic on TikTok. We've talked to her before, and that's a whole wide world that's completely different, but very, very in tune. So, but anyways, everyone, <laughs> there we are. Like my podcast now, <laughs> Veer, veering off into the weeds, <laughs> and so we're going to call this a wrap for today. And we will say cheers. Cheers. And catch you next time on the Agronomist Happy Hour. So, cheers, everyone. <laughs>